I think eventually <laughs> it, it becomes a little harder to learn and grow in your career. And I think the younger generation, you walk around Selfie, I think there's a lot of you know young men and women that live in Selfie that are going to realize that they're not getting promotions or opportunities because guess what? You haven't seen your boss in 20 days and someone else did. So mm -hmm. I think that will take hold, but certainly hybrid work is here to stay. Welcome to the Real Estate Addicts Podcast. This is episode 86 with your hosts, Mark Svatsky, Choose Boston. Ray Herto, RH Investment Group. Dan Rubin, RH Investment Group. And joining us today is our guests. Tom Greeley from Newmark. And Mike Greeley from Newmark. Excellent. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. First yeah. podcast? First podcast. We get first podcast jitters. All right. Yeah. Uh, Long time listeners, though. Long time listeners, first time it. callers. Yeah. We love it. You guys do a great job. Oh, thank you. What's your favorite episode? No kidding. <laughs> we've had some good it's, friends that have been on it. We ran into Dave and Dave the other day. You know, we're very tight with the Grossman. is right up there. Personally, Ted Ty. And then oh, I'd nice. say you listen to a few of them that you, you recognize a person. Then the next one is a, someone you've never heard of and totally different perspective. Those are probably the ones where I learn the most. You know, you get yeah. a permitting or HVAC guy on the next one or, or, or woman and you learn a ton from the different perspectives. So yeah, we I talk to guys like like Persley and Ted and National a lot, and hearing from the the folks like you is just a little bit more interesting. You learn a little bit more for us, just because we're we're used to talking to those folks. Hey, thanks guys, appreciate that. You got yeah. it. So we can certainly get into some real estate. You guys are big on the commercial sales world, but before we do, you're also big in uh, the Corey Griffin Foundation. I think it might just be a good. Who's the next Country Fest guest? Oh, that's a it's a what, good question. What's, what's the latest? We start working there? on Corey Fest. Basically, as we yeah. walk out of House of Blues, the next morning we're trying to find our next artist. But you've been nice enough to attend many times, and uh, you know the Corey Griffin Foundation. Appreciate you asking. Mm -hmm. Corey passed away in 2014. You know, best friend of Tommy's and mine, and a guy we grew up with, and and we're just very tight, like very tight with. And um, so when he passed away, we established the Corey C. Griffin Foundation in his memory to try to uh, give assistance to kids in the Boston area and the you know, healthcare, education, leadership, character, and faith. And uh, I think to this day, we've raised about $20 million. Mm -hmm. I think we've helped uh, 3,500 wow. kids and counting. We have a great holiday gift event that we're, that we're about to announce that is gonna be amazing. But for us, it, loss of a, a, a buddy who was like a brother and uh, you can't replace someone like that in your life, but what you can do is Try your best to sustain his legacy and and appreciate you being a part of it and showing yeah. up. And then you guys do a great job at that. And I saw you just hired an executive director. Yeah, too. we did. We're very it's excited really, about it's that. Really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks That's for mentioning great. Chandra Clark yeah. just started and she's amazing. That's cool. And he's going to take this thing to the next level. So we're excited. And thanks again, as Mike said, for coming to the events over the years. Anytime. It's always always a good time. Good cause. So getting into it here, you guys different from we get a lot of realtors. I'm going to say like more uh, so on the home sale side. You guys sell real estate, but you're not necessarily slinging condos and, uh, you know, single and two families. Tell us about this. Sometimes gift. we are slinging yeah. condos. <laughs> yeah. And I'd, I'd preface it by saying we have a ton of respect for those people. They, they, yeah. they just do a very different thing than we do. Mm -hmm. And maybe we step back and just talk about what we do individually at Newmark. Sure. You know, we both work in the capital markets group and investment sales. To make this question more interesting, I happen to be a multifamily investment sales broker. Mm -hmm. So I sell apartment buildings. So... You know, when my in-laws or my cousins or our colleagues' kids are looking for an apartment or looking to sell their condo, of course, that mm -hmm. is the question I get. And it's hard enough to differentiate between investment sales brokers or, or even leasing brokers and realtors. 
layer in the fact that I'm in the multifamily world and it gets very confusing for people who aren't in real estate. So, I mean, the main difference is, is we sell properties, not individual units typically. So we're selling, you know, whether it's it can be anything from a development site, you know, a, a half an acre in the South End, which Mark, we've sold you one of those sure. before, to 381 units, which are selling right now in downtown or anywhere in between. So we, we sell predominantly to investors and developers who, who see these as investment vehicles, not uh, as you know, home ownership opportunities. What's typically the smallest size building you'll sell? Honestly, we've done million dollar deals this year alone. We, we've we've closed, and I'll let Mike mention the you know the private capital stuff that he spends a lot of time on. But on the multifamily side, the smallest deal we've done this year is like a million and a quarter, and the biggest deal is five hundred and sixty million, and everywhere in between. And actually, and, and we should talk more about it, but. That lower end, the smaller deals are what get us really excited because typically in those cases, you're working with private sellers, private individuals who you know, maybe they or their family have owned this real estate for a long time. And it's pretty gratifying to call that client or that owner and say, hey, you just made a million bucks. You just made yeah. two million bucks as opposed to the institution who you know, they made a great return on a heck of a lot more margin. But you know, there's just something about making somebody's day like that and changing their life. So I love that part of it. Yeah. And I think the way to think about it is Newmark is a fully integrated commercial real estate services firm. So like the other big names out there, our capital markets platform, you know, we have partners that are in every food group. So think about retail. Retail can be enclosed malls, open air lifestyle centers, you know, high street retail condos, industrial, multifamily, obviously development, office, lab, medical, academic, healthcare. So, and then you get into the alternative asset classes when you think of self-storage, data centers, student housing. So our firm works in all those food groups and our team does as well. We also are fully integrated with our leasing team. So you have leasing brokers in each of those asset classes. That's highly specialized business. And then we obviously, as part of our capital markets platform, have a very robust debt team and you can consider them to be mortgage bankers and, and they're a very important part of our platform. But right now, especially as you know, with what's going on in the debt capital markets. Yeah. And I think Newmark as a whole, you know, we every year we'll have a billion dollar deal and we'll have some $2 million deals. You know, I personally spend a lot of time in healthcare, medical and academic related properties. And then I help oversee our private capital group in Boston more locally. And, you know, Joe, George and Casey are, are known to almost every private investor because they just make a ton of phone calls. But that allows us to access that lower middle market uh, sector of the of the of the local investment community. That's awesome. So it's no longer Newmark Newmark Knight Frank, right? It's now it's just Newmark Newmark Knight and Frank. Did they retire? So we have a lot of gear that says Newmark Knight Frank or Newmark Grub Knight Frank. So yeah. Let us know your sizes, and then we'll get you some. <laughs> yeah. Do you want some? Space you want, you want some water bottles? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When we first came over, we we had been at another firm. Our entire group was, you know, that's seventy plus mm-hmm. people, including all the the leasing teams. And we made a, a decision together to move over to Newmark and really restart their Boston presence um, and be a complement to, to the smaller footprint they had in the market at that point. That's been happening since then at Newmark across the country. When we first came, it was Newmark, Grub, Knight, Frank. It had been sort of a combination of a bunch of legacy firms. We, from the start, were calling ourselves Newmark because we sounded like a law firm if we said the whole thing. And <laughs> it came true. If Nothing you, against lawyers. Yeah. You know there's been lawyers on here before. We like said it enough case. that it stuck. That's cool. That's nice. cool. So during COVID, Tommy, you guys, you came out with a really good newsletter. Uh, I remember like the world was just like seeming to end oh, yeah. and I get these like weekly updates from Tommy and I was like, there still is a market or some weeks it's like, I guess there is no market. It is completely evaporated this week, well, but it was cool. And I feel like we're going into a similar 
So you're saying I should revive the I newsletter, comparing notes to Tommy. That's yeah, what it was called. That's what it was called. That was the subject every week. Um, and it was just an email too. It wasn't like glossy. Yeah. It wasn't like it had some it typos in it. It was good. Yeah. You got to mix in a couple typos because right. people, people take it too seriously otherwise. Yeah. Uh, no, it's like when you're texting was... the new girlfriend and you have to like change the period. You know? <laughs> well, whenever there was a typo. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? I inevitably would get an email or a call from one of my brothers. There's five of us total. We have a sister too. If there was a typo in there, I would hear about it within 30 seconds. It's like, hey, you're an idiot. This is messed up or this is messed up. But COVID was a crazy time. You know, I've been pretty fortunate that I started in the business in 2010 and it's been sort of hockey stick growth ever since I graduated. Mike was a couple of years before, so he he smelled the bottom when he started in 08. But things have been going really, really well for, you know, for 10 years. And then COVID happened and now this correction that we we find ourselves in today. But during that time, you know, I just started writing down notes, like the most interesting 10 things that I heard that week on calls. And I was just calling folks to, to catch up, see what they were up to, see how they were looking at the world, see where they were active or, or where they weren't and why. And I would just share, you know, the 10 most interesting things I'd heard that week with, with people. And it was just a way to keep in touch when transactional volume had sort of fallen off a cliff at that point. Mm-hmm. 2020 and 21 ended up being great years for Newmark and for a lot of commercial brokers out there. But those first few months were scary and you were hearing a lot and it was just helpful to put something out in front of folks and, and generate a lot of discussions from it. Yeah, it's, just like a lot, it. it's just a lot of unknowns. Yeah. You know, people like hearing what their peers in the industry are thinking. We work for, you know, our team is run by Rob Griffin, who's just, you know, an amazing figure in the commercial real estate business and a great sort of servant leader of our firm and our team. And he always says, numbers validate, anecdotes sell. Yeah. Uh, people want to hear... They want to hear sort of stories from the street and they, they want to hear about what their peers are thinking and doing, what people are fearful about, what people are excited about. That's really what gets the market moving again. And Tommy's email was awesome. People always ask him to start it again because it just gave people little nuggets from, you know, what was going on around the market. And, you know, it was helpful for people yeah. in that time. We should revive it. And, and actually Dave Martell, who runs, co-runs our, our Boston leasing, office leasing group, who's a star in the industry and has been around for a couple of cycles. He writes something called Marty's Memo every couple of weeks and we'll get you on that list. But it's awesome. a really good in-depth awesome. look. You know, it's hard to be always optimistic, but he tries to look at both sides and it's just a good way to stay in front of people in kind of a crazy time. Take a quick break from our episode to recognize our sponsor, First Boston Capital Partners, uh, Dave Grossman, who joined us on the pod recently uh, as a principal there, leads a great team, very fast and flexible. If you need financing to build your building, reach out. We'd love to give you an introduction. Speaking of, uh, I guess, speaking of that, understanding what's the word on the street, I guess, and you mentioned the word correction. So where are you seeing the market? And, you know, are you seeing, obviously there's been changes because of the capital markets and rates and everything, but Mm -hmm. what are you seeing happening right now in your world? And where do you foresee it kind of going into 2023? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's very dynamic is an overused word, but it is very dynamic. It changes daily, weekly, monthly. So whatever the answer we give you now will be different inevitably, you know, after Thanksgiving. <laughs> On the multifamily side, I'll speak to that. You know, we've definitely seen seen volume slow down. We're not necessarily encouraging our, our clients to run to the market with an asset right now, just because there's uncertainty. Not because the fundamentals of these apartment deals aren't excellent. They still are. Rents are still growing. Apartment buildings are still full. They're still absorbing. You know, maybe not quite as as exciting rent growth as a year ago, but there's still rent growth and there's still 
you know, full buildings. So the fundamentals, at least in Boston, the multifamily side are still really good. But the debt markets, which we mentioned earlier in the call, and I am far from a debt expert, but we got one sitting here, though. Yeah, I, I know exactly. Be, um, I love that, Mike. Mike, now you're the debt expert, so put your uh, thinking cap on. <laughs> uh, we are all impacted by what interest rates are. You know, we we have sold nine or ten deals, nine or ten institutional multifamily deals this calendar year, and four of the last five have been to all cash buyers. So we happen to be in an asset class where. There's a lot of dry powder and a lot of all cash buyers of these deals, but doesn't mean they're not. That doesn't mean they're insulated from where the debt markets are. You know, they're they're smart folks and they they see what's going on in the world and mm-hmm. changes their underwriting, changes how aggressive they'll get, and ultimately drives cap rates up a bit. Have you seen any deal? Have deals been any deals falling apart? Because None of ours. You know, we're, we're, <laughs> no, we, maybe re, that maybe somewhere? retrade. Has that been happening? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just think, yeah, inevitably, when you get to this sort of volatility in the debt markets, of course, sure. it is it is choppy out there. We've been fortunate, and we are fortunate. We always remind ourselves we're part of a great platform. We're, we're two members of a, of a larger team, and everyone's sort of rowing in the same direction. But also, we're in Boston, and we work predominantly in the greater Boston and New England markets. I happen to work across the country in healthcare. And what I can say is we are very, very fortunate to live here and all of us to work here and invest. You know, you guys divest, invest and develop here. It's just an exceptional place to be, incredibly resilient when you compare it to how the tide goes out in other markets. Sometimes it can be the tortoise and the hare in certain asset classes around here, but you would take that. You would take the tortoise today. We also, on the flip side, see incredible rent growth. Look at what happened in life science over the past couple of years. Look at what's happened in industrial so we're in a in a fundamentally very strong market. If you look around the world, there's a group called AFIRE that talks about sort of international capital and equity placement. And Boston is always a top three market in the entire world, right? So we're very lucky to be here. And it always leads to some transaction activity for, for people like Tommy and I. It's interesting. We've been, you know, for the last 10 years, we've been pitching Boston's economy as meds and eds and life science oriented. You know, there's always gonna be doctors healing people. There's always going to be students studying. There's always going to be researchers studying the next breakthrough. And that's been put to the test the last 12 to 24 months, first with COVID. And now with kind of what's going on now, you know, we're seeing Boston remain more resilient than most gateway markets and certainly some of the growth markets that our clients have been investing in the last few years here. Any article that I've read, you know, you see the the price drops or the average drop in pricing and Boston's like always yeah. at the bottom. Of like yeah. the least. I mean, it's different from COVID for obvious reasons, but it's also similar in that there's uncertainty in the market. And even with uncertainty, people have money they need to park somewhere and you want to park it somewhere safe. And this is the same story we were telling way back when is internationally, people think of Boston as a place where it's a good store of value and, uh, you know, the underlying fundamentals are strong. Yeah. So we hear it all the time yeah. from, from people that we do, you know, do business with. And a lot of times we're dealing with not only like, you know, sovereign wealth capital, it's, it's actually a sovereign wealth fund, but also just high net worth families from around the world that through an advisor or directly have decided to invest in Boston. And a lot of times we ask them, you know, about what they're looking at. And they say, listen, you people that A, live in the US and B, that live in the Northeast don't understand just how much disruption there is going on around the world, whether, right. whether it be, you know, geopolitical or whatever. And, you know, that can be, if you look at, t- take high net worth Chilean families for mm-hmm. one group, it is incredible the amount of commercial real estate assets are owned by the wealthiest families in Chile in the Boston market. Because inflation is so Ooh, rampant they, out there yeah. too, right? Like your your money, uh, you know, melts like butter in those economies. Anybody else 
impressed with Mike's pronunciation of Chile there. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> I'm impressed. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, I was. I, I don't have too much right now. <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been trying to figure out how to step into this conversation. You guys are all doing such a great job. I just like every time I have an idea, you've somebody's already said it. Be, somebody's got to be refreshing. I thought, US was, I thought he was going to say I pronounced Chile wrong. No, I was nervous. No, no, no. no I, I mean, all I'd add to that is that COVID was interesting in that the education part actually became more of like a, an Achilles heel for the short term because all the renters moved out and mm. no one knew what oh. was going on. And even though Biomed picked up the pieces yeah. and students came back a year later, it was a short-term weakness in the rental market, right? Yeah. And, and and sales, you know, we kept saying a lot of people moved out prematurely if they were going to, if that was in the back of their mind, they did that. And yeah. then folks are moving back into the city as it opens up. So it's it's very interesting. And, and I, Dan's question was exactly where I was trying to figure out where we were going. Like, what's 23 going to be like? Because it's not the same as coming out of COVID. It's very different considering the debt market markets are totally different. And I almost feel like, we're pay, playing this game of chicken. Who's gonna are people gonna be lowering their lowering their prices, i.e. higher cap rates, or is the Fed going to overcorrect too quickly? And then inflation won't be the concern. It'll be more of a recession. And it's just very hard to know. But but to both of your I points, predict it'll be somewhere in between. Yeah. yeah. If the yeah. Fed is safe position, I like it. <laughs> Who's the new The Fed's definitely fan? not listening to us. Jerome Powell. <laughs> Jerome Powell. If, if if Mr. Powell's is, I would say that. It's kind of worked. Like all of a sudden, subs are negotiating, right? Like for the longest time, subs would produce a price, a quote, and they'd say, "Do you like it or not?" And if not, you know, I have someone else who will hire me tomorrow. But all of a sudden, I am anecdotally seeing uh, subs like, "You have a project; it's funded and real. Let's talk. We can. We're here to negotiate." And right. uh, similarly, material pricing is is on its way down. Lumber futures are down. Mm -hmm. A two by four is very reasonable, especially as compared to two years ago. And shipping um, container prices have dropped. They're yeah. no longer ten thousand. Yeah, I mean, so it's, Mr. Powell, <laughs> stop raising rates. You've done it. It's worked. <laughs> it's worked. Yeah, but it is other parts of. It's weird because there's some parts of the supply chain are back. Don't tell some, him that. <laughs> but it, but some parts of the supply chain are still messed up, like meter boxes or or panels switch or gear. switch gear. Like, it's but they are getting better. Fire alarm control panels getting better. I'm, You're not wrong. No, I know. But like, you know, the project we're doing now, they're like, oh, you need to order it. You need to order your stuff switch gear now Generators. for next year. Yeah, sure. stuff like that. Then so, the, I guess the question we'd have for, for you all would be, you're seeing that happen in the supply chain. You're seeing subs loosen up as developers, as investors and sponsors. Does that change the way that you value a piece of land? Right. When yeah. does that start to trickle back? I, into I think what's happening, we're rate. kind of at the tail end of deals that were inked before rates got crazy. And so those are all in flight now. And real, really, the question is, what's deal flow that's happening today? How's that going to be playing out six to 12 so, months from you know, now? Have, there's well, always a lag. I think right? a lot of so our buyers are happens. hesitant because they think the price tomorrow will be less than the price today. So they're hesitant to go in today. And I feel the same way as a as a buyer, as yeah. a developer. And the other form of uncertainty right now, just to be candid, is uh, political uncertainty. I think that there's a, a lot of guys wondering, you know, should they sink a lot of dollars into a deal when they don't know what the... It's hard to underwrite a deal yeah. because there's so many unknowns. Yeah, yeah. anecdotally, we've heard people saying, I'm testing deals at 8 to 10%. It's like, that's wild. Those are hard money numbers now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and we'll, you know, we'll politically, you know, mm -hmm. and, and certainly... Having mentioned that we work for Newmark, we're not we're not going to yeah. talk too much about our <laughs> thoughts politically and and kind of. What I meant hyper locally. Hyper locally, yeah. yeah. No, uh, there has to be an environment where developers are incentivized to deliver meaningful supply. If mm -hmm. you want us, you know, I think this current administration, this mayoral administration, is focused on 
new supply. They're mm-hmm. focused on finding a way to, or I should say this administration is focused on finding a way to make housing in the city more affordable. Our opinion is the only way to do that is to, to really meaningful, meaningfully step on the gas when it comes to new supply and deliveries. And there are certain policies that work in that regard and certain policies that we don't think do, but it's it's all part of the learning process. We One thing we all agree on is that housing needs to be affordable for the people that need it to be affordable. Um, it's just a really difficult question of how do you get there, you know? Sure. And I think yeah. that that kind of plays into the how insular or insulated Boston has been because, you know, we, we have almost artificially restricted supply right you know right. Yeah. this isn't like it's Austin, not, it's Texas. like it's ma- it's yeah. it's it, you know we we cr- we created a lot of what's going on so but that again that helps us in in situations mm-hmm. like this where in other parts of the country it hasn't so. being, being a high barrier to entry market is is critical to how resilient boston's been over the years and mm. you know if you're an institutional allocator and you're looking at investing in office or lab or whatever it might be multifamily that barrier to entry is important in Boston. It's something that we wave as a flag all the time as a strength. We never have you know a ton of speculative construction of any asset class. Multifamily spec multifamily is different, right? It's all spec, I guess, on the on the rental side. But in office lab, we just don't have that deluge of supply every time there's a boom, and it helps Boston in the long mm-hmm. term. But it's got to be you know pal- policy has to be balanced, and everyone has the same goal. You need this to be an affordable place for families to live, and we just got to figure out the way to get there. Can we talk about office real quick? Just because I'm, I'm curious what your perspectives are on it. As I've read so many articles saying that maybe you should convert if you're an owner of office space, or maybe you should wait and see if the remote work comes back. And we're seeing a lot of companies finally put the hammer down and say, "Get back to the office." What are you seeing out there? What's what's anecdotally the word on the street? Yeah, so I, I think if you look at Office occupancy is is at its highest point it's been since COVID started. And in the beginning of COVID and during COVID, there was, you know, every week there was a panel on the future of office, the future of the workplace. It was a way to take up some some airtime and, and give people something to do, but no one really knew. And I think what I'm personally seeing is not many people want to give up their desk, right? So if you want to work on a hybrid schedule and you tell you know your boss or whatever, hey, I'm only going to be in three or four days a week. If they tell you that you're not going to have a place to sit if you don't come in five days a week, I think that that's probably not the solution. So what it means for office space is that employee who's in three, four days a week still has their office or still has their cubicle. I, don't, I haven't seen like hoteling take control. Mm. We've seen a lot of major tenants in the Boston market commit to larger footprints or go out and sign new leases. I think there's a lot of green shoots out there. Certainly hybrid work is probably here to stay. But I always say you go into Tate, which I love and, and salty, and you see, you know, 30 kids working on their laptops with big headphones on on sales calls, and they can probably see their office building from where they're sitting at Tate. <laughs> and my perspective is <laughs> I think eventually it, it becomes a little harder to learn and grow in your career. And I think the younger generation, you walk around salty, I think there's a lot of you know, young men and women that live in Salty that are going to realize that they're not getting promotions or opportunities because guess what? You haven't seen your boss in 20 days and someone else did. So mm-hmm. I think that will take hold, but certainly hybrid work is here to stay. It's nice for a lot of people to be untethered to the workplace, but the, the office market's not dead. I think that's great. Hi- hybrid work had already started to come into the picture prior to COVID, prior to the turmoil that we're in now. Somebody, it's an overused quote, but somebody keeps saying, 
you know, developers spent five years trying to make the office feel like home. And now they're going to spend five years trying to make home feel like offices. So you're probably doing it in your units or, or your development, whether it's condo or rental, figure out opportunities for residents to you know, have a home office. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a work nook now, maybe there's a built-in desk. You know, we're seeing developers take that approach, not because the office is going away, but because that hybrid model, which had already started pre-COVID, is going to continue to, to we think, be a policy of the future. And again, it's not going to eliminate office footprints or shrink office footprints, we don't even think, but it's going to augment the way that people go about their, their work weeks. No, I, I agree with you. I think, I, I think you're right prior to there. It was already starting to right. trickle in and you were already starting to see it a little bit, but it just exasperated and yeah. pushed, put, get fuel on the fire to, to kind of push Yeah, that the, the smartest developers right now are the ones who in 2017, 18 on the multifamily side programmed a bunch of work from home mm-hmm. collaboration tables or offices. And we're seeing developers now convert space that was otherwise going to be a lounge amenity or a kitchen amenity, convert that space into private offices or pods or something to plug in from home. Because again, it might not be three or four days a week that you're working from home, but it's probably going to be one or two for most people. So yep. you got to find a way to-, to Zoom rooms. This, Zoom rooms. I was going to say good. prior to COVID, who even heard of Zoom or WebEx or Microsoft Teams? Not too many, right? Not us. Yeah. Ring we, central. We it's one of my new pet peeves though, is, is Zoom meetings for everything when it should just be a conference call. Oh, we we say it all the time. Like, Does this need and it to shouldn't be... be 60 minutes. Yeah. Do we really need to be on video mm. if prior to COVID, this was just going to be a phone call? Also, chill out if I'm 37 seconds late to a Zoom meeting. Like, <laughs> if it was in person, you'd give me like seven, eight minutes before you started yeah. texting me. But immediately everyone's like, <laughs> we're on the Zoom. We're on the Zoom. Yeah, we're waiting. there too is, and maybe you have some perspective on this with your permitting processes, but everything's gone virtual. Mm-hmm. So the BPDA, a lot of municipalities have adopted virtual town meetings, permitting meetings, ZBA meetings, whatever it is. I wonder if they'll ever go back. And if not, does that change the process meaningfully in the long term? I but, think it does. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, they extended the public. Um, so it has to do with like open meeting law. And there was some emergency uh, statute that was put in place to allow for like the zoning board to meet via Zoom. And they did extend that. So it'd be interesting to see if they continue to do that or if they change that law. But yeah, I mean, in a way, it certainly makes it more accessible. So maybe yeah. they go hybrid. Maybe they allow in-person and Zoom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On, on the Zoom, one thing I'd say about people working from home, and you know, we have reasons to be championing the return to office mm-hmm. as a commercial brokerage firm, but in, in general, we say all the time, there's efficiencies that are gained because instead of getting a cab and going to the back bay for a meeting, maybe that's a Zoom and we don't waste the, the half hour getting back and forth. But internal stuff, stuff that you'd walk over to someone's desk and maybe have a 30-minute, two-minute conversation about 30-second conversation yeah. and resolve an issue – Instead, you're tracking each other down by phone, you know, Zoom, Teams, trying to figure it out. It, you lose a lot of this, that internal efficiency if people aren't in the office. And I think yeah. that's a little bit of drag on productivity, but it cuts both ways. In terms of designing for housing, I like this goes back to an episode we did with Ted Tai, but this idea that offices used to be like a room with no windows somewhere in the back of the condo that was otherwise an office. Now it's like, you know, move that space to to the prompt to the place with the best view yeah. or with windows and maybe make it convertible so it can then be a living room but seeing that done well <clears throat> and vintage buildings are taking space and rethinking it reimagining mm-hmm. it reprogramming it for work from home so we're on the market with a big 80s vintage apartment tower downtown and on the 42nd floor which is penthouse level top floor they have a series of work from home studios so i think 
developers realize that that kind of work from home hybrid model is, is going to be around and they're they're taking what would be prized residential space and offering it to renters as as work from home so nice. smarter people than us think it's important so <laughs> how about amenity space how's that changed in terms of prioritization yeah i think it's like we said earlier in the call everything's pretty dynamic um work from home amenities have certainly grown in, in footprint and a lot of developments we're seeing but I think there's more of a focus on in the four walls of the apartments, private use space, you know, whether it's a deck off your own unit or a work from home den or something like that. I don't personally see amenity spaces growing post pandemic, but definitely changing in the way that they're designed and used. Can we switch gears here real quick? As far as valuations go, we started by saying you guys aren't like a Coldwell banker, uh, you know, typical realtor. If you were, you would just pull some comps and uh, present you know, your estimate of value to the seller. I imagine that when you're underwriting something as complicated as an institutional building or a uh, 381 unit building downtown, it's a little more complicated than finding the most recent 381 unit building that traded <laughs> downtown. So I, I actually messed up. It's 481, 481 units, by the way. Uh, I wrote that yeah. down. My in case, in case you were going to submit yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I, I was, my bids <laughs> all changed. I'll give you some guidance. I'll give you some guidance on You just screwed up Mark's yeah. underwriting completely. Actually, I, my bid's low, so we're, we're good. <laughs> we take a scientific approach to underwriting. And Mike mentioned earlier in the call that we as a firm collaborate with everybody in the office on the leasing side, on the management side, and the research side. So there are a lot of inputs that go into underwriting a deal. It's not just let's take the rent roll and let's take the trailing 12 financials and let's forecast what, what our brokerage mindset thinks this is going to look like for the next 10 years and apply the appropriate cap rate discount rate to it. We take a, a 360 approach. So we want to hear from the office people, what kind of employers are moving to this neighborhood and how is that going to affect population growth and therefore rent growth? We look at inflation and expenses. Obviously, rent's growing pretty quickly right now, but it's just a part of inflation and how does that impact expenses as well. So we take a pretty scientific approach and you know, on the office side. I don't yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of inputs that go into how you model, you know, an income property, any sort of income property. On the commercial, you know, analysis side, you're going to be thinking about, you know, cap rate is something people talk about a lot, but you're talking about your, your levered and unlevered IRRs. You're talking about your return on equity. You're talking about your cash on cash returns. And I think that you need to put your self in the shoes of a buyer instead of just slapping a price on. And, and when we bring something to market, we almost never have a written price. So you never hear that new marker. That's my other pet peeve, by the way. Yeah, it's, Too it's, many Zoom calls and no pricing on a listing. I know. But I know. I it's, uh, it's, it's all part of the process. We, we just believe that you sort of let the market speak and you use the momentum of that interest to, to get to what a market clearing price should be. But it, it is a, it's a pretty scientific approach. We have the best team of analysts, we think, in the country at, at Newmark. And it's just an incredible group of people that, again, it's very multidis multidisciplinary. Everyone works together to make sure that we're, we're not missing any parts of value. And then when we go to package and market that to investors, our job is to tell that story and get people excited about the potential value and, there. And those metrics are important for different cohorts of buyers. So if we're selling a deal and we're targeting high net worth generational owners, they're going to be focused on cash on cash. Whereas, you know, if we're, if we're targeting closed end fund buyers, they're going to be more levered IRR focused. So those metrics, you know, you, you can come up with them for any deal, but it's really how you use them and, and how, you, how you put them out to the market. What do you think a stabilized 30 unit building in Lynn completed in about 2023 uh, would trade for? 
Uh, three gap. There we go. Name your number. We'll get it. Yeah, is this a pitch? Is, this a, is this a pitch all of a sudden? All right. I like it. Tommy will get, I get it for a, you. I get a referral fee if this happens. This is <laughs> I'm sitting Tommy, in the middle. I made the introduction. Tommy won't say it. He's, he has set most of the pricing records in the market. So. Hashtag asking for a friend. Yeah. I literally am asking for a friend. No, it's... <laughs> It's a moving target. I think you're, you're, <clears throat> by the time you deliver and stabilize, your rents will be the different place than they are today. Your NOI will be the different place than it is today. And so will cap rates. So it's hard to say, you know, forward looking what it, what it will look like, but yeah. we're really looking forward to the pitch. So just let us know. <laughs> we'll, we'll study we'll it. Put something on the calendar. <laughs> but we love Lynn and the world has moved north, you know, along the blue line. And as that extension and, and the GE sites, train station opens up, it really changes the whole dynamic up there. So we like Lynn, we like what a lot of our friends and clients, the Red Gates of the world have done in Revere Beach. And that momentum continues to drive northward. We're big fans of the blue line, big fans of market like Lynn. Nice. What is the craziest deal or thing that you've seen in your career so far? One of the um, craziest. Let's just, we should just do a fire round. And, and oh my yeah. God. We've had so many funny hilarious hilarious you just couldn't make some of the stuff up occasions yeah i mean we always say like put that in the book you know because we just deal with we deal with some crazy people i think one of the fun things about working in the boston market and again this is why so many folks work you know our team will do a three million dollar deal and we'll do a billion dollar deal because the diversity of equity and sophisticated capital in this market is pretty amazing. You know, you have the people in this room looking at the sort of middle market opportunities you guys are, infill development opportunities you guys are looking at. And then you have private capital, high net worth, sort of family office capital, all the way up to the largest institutional investors in the world. Um, so you deal with really uh, diverse personalities all the way through that spectrum. So I, it, crazy story. I mean, I mean, some of the, yeah, We've had some wild situations and it's the real estate you sell that leads some of those stories we we've sold buildings uh, we sold a building that used to be called the the center for blistering diseases it had a sign on it that said the center for blistering diseases we'd have to tour it and people would be like uh what, what did this <laughs> people, would, people would put on rubber gloves or immediately go out. and i actually i give devlin man who, who is a senior analyst in our capital markets group a lot of credit for that one because he did most of the tours we weren't going in the center for blistering diseases very often but we sold the Sitco sign in Kenmore Square, right? You did? Oh, part nice. of our business. Oh, that's cool. And this is cool because it's something that Mike and I get to work together on, which is great as brothers. We shared bunk beds growing up, went to college <laughs> together, uh, and have worked together since we were both in the in the industry. And we do a lot of, of urban land sales. And you know the reason is a lot of that urban land is owned by medical and academic clients who Mike advises. And a lot of that land over the course of the past six, seven, eight years has wanted to be multifamily, whether it's apartments, condos, whatever it is, like a 566 Columbus Mark. Mm -hmm. So one of Mike's clients and, and his partner, Frank's clients is Boston University. Uh, and they own all the real estate in the north side of Kenmore Square. So a series of infill buildings, the old bookstore, the post office, the Sitco sign. We ran a process to monetize that, that real estate on BU's behalf and, you know, as you can expect, there was a ton of interest just based on the fundamentals of the real estate. It's a great corner. It's transit-oriented. There's a lot of good things going on over there with the long medical area, with the growth of the Fenway, and with the access to downtown and Back Bay. And a lot of people just wanted to come and see the Sitco sign. So, you know, the number of photos that Mike and I took of, of our clients or buyers on the roof of those buildings with, you know, a peace sign and the Sitco sign in the back, 
is, uh, and is great. I, it's part of what's cool about working in in this market is that you have some you know iconic or sort of you know really cool place making opportunities that our our investors and clients execute on we sometimes you know have one percent of the vision that they do and that's okay but you know when you see the whoop sign right that that's on that project and and when we do tours i think we did 120 tours of that project and we said you know imagine signage and all that and and then you go to fenway you look at the whoop sign and you say wow you know it came true there that's awesome what is whoop whoops a wearables uh company so okay yeah uh, like Did you, you know, know fitness wearables. Fitness, like, yeah. It's, it's yeah, a whoop bracelet. You know, a, friend a, who works for a whoop bracelet. You know the band. It, it oh, gives awesome. you like a score. Oh, I, I'm a dating. Score am I dating day. myself? Yeah, you no. are. Well, Dan's like, I've got a fit. You're not. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a get a whoop. It's, I've seen the, the the massive sign in the building yeah. in, in yeah. Kenmore it's Square, really but cool, I I never knew what it. It's was. a really cool technology. Boston born, great tenant for Related Beal, who ended up developing the site, who we sold it to. They blew up during COVID when there were. NBA basketball players and PGA Tour golfers wearing them, and they would find out from their whoop stats like a day in advance that they had COVID. Like yeah, something well, would be yeah. on, their sleep would be off, their heart rate would be off, and they'd say, "What the heck is this?" And their doctor would test. Oh, them so it, it so it monitors everything. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And that, so and it's like the, an Apple, like your Apple Watch on steroids, right? Like totally. That type it's it's, a, it's an amazing technology, but I think what's it's again cool about the Boston market. <laughs> Willamette, Willamette started that company and it's it's been a Boston sort of born and bred company that's grown right in the Fenway and is a great success story of globally recognized brand now. And it's a cool building. I will say, yeah. Related Beal did try to take the, the Sitco sign down. No, 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 no. They, they did it. It was pitched. They well, did I remember, it. Yeah, they I was going to bring that up. I thought they, I heard about was, that leaving. And the, I, the argument was that it was Hugo Chavez's company who doesn't like, uh, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Samantha. I, I, you know, yeah, there's, there's a lot anyway, that goes into a discussion I like think that. they quickly... It wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, I think they saw the saw <laughs> It's that. a great they, outcome. They've delivered totally an amazing product. If you think about what used to be on that side of Kenmore Square and and kudos to, to BU for recognizing what the opportunity was there and related Beal for coming through as in the related companies has across the world and, and, and Beal locally, they've done this time and time again, delivered an exceptional result. I used to go to that uh, dive bar at the bottom of that building when I was yeah. in college. There, there's a couple of good. It's Cornwalls, which is still mm, in still there. there. Oh, it's Cornwalls still there? Is great. Cornwalls is great. Oh, wait, yeah. Cornwalls is still there? I thought it was torn down. Oh, no, I no. thought you were talking about they the old Related the old did a good job. They committed to Cornwalls. You're not going anywhere. You're a pillar of the community. You're staying put. So, oh, yeah. nice. Yeah, one of the many cool things they did there. Oh, that's Tell nice. Do you drive around like, and we, you know, the Smith in the South End is another site that, that we worked on together that was really fun to do that together. And what a great development that's been, uh, you know, for, for BGO and Lega McCall. And they've done a great job there. Not to keep comparing uh, this to sort of the typical residential brokerage, but <laughs> it's a world that a lot of people are familiar with. And uh, just to bring up fee structures, typically two and a half percent to the buyer's agent, two and a half to the seller's agent. And that's how most deals are consummated. What does it look like when you're selling 481 units? What is a what is a fee structure? We will take we will exactly. we'll take two and a half on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll yeah. that's a very good it's, fee. It's, right? it's obviously yeah. it's it's a sliding scale, and yeah. every situation's a little different. Is that a good non-answer for you? Yeah, that was a good. Um, I, I need you to give me something of a nod. The biggest difference is we typically don't collaborate with with a buyer's broker. There's a yeah. seller's broker, and we mm -hmm. deal directly. We we procure the buyer, mm -hmm. bring the investors to the table, and we advise both sides in our transactions. And that's typical of all the big commercial real estate sales shops. 
So if someone showed up with like a Keller Williams agent, that agent. <laughs> no, and it's, it's no, no disrespect to yeah. those, those yeah, other brokers. All. And we get calls yeah. all the time. Yeah. It's more just about controlling the process. Mm-hmm. And so much, get, so much gets misinterpreted and lost in the messaging when there's multiple sort of third parties involved. So we, we feel like we have a really good pulse on the investor marketplace. And uh, that's our job. You know, our job is to know who's active and who has capital and, and who can execute. And we find those folks. That's so interesting because it's such a departure from the wisdom of residential real estate sales, which is that everybody needs their own representation. Because if you represent both the buyer and the seller, you can't possibly be doing your your client a service. And I don't necessarily believe that's true, but... Yeah, I think the dynamic's different. You have investors who are who are buying multiple deals a year and mm-hmm. and they want to be active with every they want to be seeing deals you know from all sorts of different brokerage shops and and sources so it's a very different dynamic than if one person's buying a home once every four years yeah. and you got to imagine that the buyers sorry not to cut you off but the buyers are very much more sophisticated oh, yeah. so they're running their own models anyway oh, so it's not even not like always. okay well then shame on them no but <laughs> point being, yeah. they're in the business they're in the business of buying it, yeah if you make a bad buy that's Mark just underwrote 381 units right there. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck no. Yeah. Uh, no, it's um, yeah. We we get the comparison a lot to to realtors. Mm-hmm. We actually work with them a lot. Like 566 Columbus, Mark. We've said mm-hmm. this a couple of times. This is an awesome site on the corner of Mass Ave uh, in Columbus in the South End that Mike and I actually worked on the sale of for USCS, which is a great nonprofit in the South End. We've worked on monetizing that corner for them. And actually, I was looking for it, Mark, before this interview. We always get a, a bunch of bids on deals and, you know, people send in a two-page term sheet. I get a, a box, a FedEx box with printed, bound budgets, term sheet, bios on who the buyer is. Here's here's who Mark is. Here's who his partners at New Boston Ventures are. I have never seen anything like it to the, to the point that I kept it. I was like, I got to keep this because one day I'm going to give this back to Mark. But... That project, 566 Columbus, that's one where we, you know, we collaborated with a couple of, of local brokers because we really wanted to understand from a development perspective and ultimate sales perspective, how condos would be priced in that market. We knew it was a condo site, um, but how were the end users going to value it? How were buyers going to look at those those units? Um, because that obviously informs the development pro forma that we build and what the new Boston Ventures of the world can pay for the real estate. So we do spend a lot of time with uh, again, whether it's Compass or Campion or Sprogis and Neal, they're all very, very bright people. That was cool. We actually had an interview with the seller before we were selected. And uh, we had done some initial massings and just design concepts. And we wanted to really bring it off the page. Uh, we spent about 2500 bucks printing a 3D model of our initial concept for the building. We sort of put it in the middle of the table when we came for our interview. And well, we got the building. So. Like a three yeah, D, like a three D printed model, full on three D printed oh, model. That's cool. Pretty much what the building looks like today. Yeah, and I think so the cool in the, the office that yeah. was great, and yeah. and you know visuals are always helpful. But what really won, won the deal for you all was the level of commitment to the community in the neighborhood. Thanks, I man. think you know, and Mark and Mark. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mark's Mark's pretty face help, but <laughs> yeah. you know they were making meaningful contributions back to the neighborhood, to the nonprofit that was selling the real estate to diversity, equity, inclusion in the neighborhood before it was a thing, you know, they, they really set the bar and uh, kudos to you and Thanks, Tom. Dennis and David, you guys did a great job there. Appreciate and that. It's a beautiful building too. Still a couple units left. There you go. There you go. Shameless plug. <laughs> so we mentioned uh, how hybrid has kind of changed things. And I guess my question would be real quick, if there's any, what are some of the innovations that you'd like to see sort of in your industry 
either they're in, in process now or if you could pick and choose, that would make the commercial world even more exciting? It's a good question. I might be stumped, but I, I think the, the nice thing about COVID was it forced a rapid adoption of technology across the board. So whether you were a junior person or a person that's been with the firm for 30 years, everyone quickly to be productive got on board with, with the te- technological you know, advances that have been made. And you know, now I think it, it, it again cuts both ways. In our business, you're never offline. You know, unfortunately, it's just a reality. It, it, and because we're working as advisors to people who have you know significant transactions in play, and you're not just going to go quiet for three days because you know you're at the pool or something or at the beach. So, I think that's been that's cut both ways because you're always sort of on. People work from home now, so when you travel, you're on the Zoom and everything. But you know, our business has been in our mind. I'm sure there's a lot of people who would say we're slow to adopt certain technologies. But it's also the same folks that say every every pro, every project and property should be auctioned off on an online auction, and there's no need for a broker, right? <laughs> I think we we've disproven that many times and in many different cycles. But there's some amazing technologies to my point, Mike's point that have come out, and we're slow adopters, but we have adopted them and embraced them. We use, you know, as a for instance, we use a, a product called TestFit, um, which Mark, I'm not sure you've ever seen this. It's, no. It's sort of an idiot tool to mass a building on a site. Really? And because we're working on a lot of development sites, hmm. it allows us to get close enough to how many units and how many square feet you can actually build on any particular site, whether it's- With regards urban. to zoning, does it Yeah, Yeah, that? there's inputs yeah. for everything, setbacks, mm-hmm. dimensional requirements, oh, cool. massing, FAR. And it's not a science and we make sure to disclaim to mm-hmm. buyers, yeah. hey, you know, you can't <laughs> go to City Hall or go to ISD and get a yeah. set of plans or a set of permits. Stamped. This, but it gives you enough to be dangerous. And uh, it's just an example of some of the technology we've we've adopted. I think, you know, a good sales force, a good our um, um, you know sales tool RCM would be system. great. We uh, we have a couple that we've used over the years, and that's just a function of adoption and being good about writing your notes down and logging your calls. It's not the technology that's that's the broker that we need to be more organized there. And we've been we've been focused as a platform on always sort of innovating and adopting new technologies as as we think they're ready. But if you go back, you will see, you know, 30 years of people claiming that, you know, this technology is going to crush the construction industry or the brokerage industry, as you know it. And GCs better look out and commercial brokers are dinosaurs. And it is it is a, a business based on relationships and trust and leverage and driving momentum when you have the opportunity to and, and being conservative when you should be. So I think that human element never really goes away. And that's been proven Many times. It's yeah. one of my favorite conversations is why discount brokerages have never really caught traction. I guess on the flip side of that, what are some of your biggest pet peeves when you're going in to sell a building? Like what do you not want to see or what do you hate seeing these days? Well, we like to give as accurate a picture as we can to the market. And we talked about how our underwriting is pretty scientific, or at least we think it is. So we love when our, our sellers and clients have good historic reporting. Um, you go in, they have a rent roll and they have last year's rent roll. They have last year's T12 and the last five years. And here are our utility bills. Here are our tax bills. That always helps. You know, we work with what we get, but makes uh, our team's life a lot more difficult when we have to kind of start from scratch and do a lot of Fill guesswork. In the blanks. It's just hard to, be, hard to be precise in what we're doing and how we're getting buyers to underwrite deals. So. Yeah. And I think we, we have a very high expectation at Newmark of just the, the quality of data that we present to the market. And I think you hear, I mean, you spend time on Twitter and you have all these people saying, oh, commercial broke, you know, investment sales brokers are always telling you one thing and, and, and 
it, I think it largely that audience is is working, unfortunately, with people in the business that are getting bad info in and they spit bad info out to the to the buyers. And we are forensic when it comes to what numbers we present to the market. We just think that that's something that should always be basically 100% accurate. Uh, it's our reputation. It's our sort of standard. If you're looking at a deal with us and we represent that the numbers are one thing, you know that when we go package a deal for you, that's how we're going to treat the information we bring out to the market. And what it does is save a lot of headaches and heartburn and retrades down the line. We never want it to be our oversight or our mistake that, that caused some sort of you know tough discussion at the end of a process. And you know I think we're pretty good at making sure that's not the case. Quick game of overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated. You guys familiar with the rules? Yep. No, yeah. All right, I'll kick it off here. First one, the Hingham Ferry to Tommy. Actually, Mike. <laughs> I think it's appropriately rated. I think people love it. Mm-hmm. It's the most reliable form of public transportation in the state. So think about that, the T, the bus, everything <laughs> like that. The, the Hingham Ferry basically gets canceled once or twice a year. Yeah, despite all the alcohol like consumed the board. You know, yes. Thursday afternoons on the way home, you know, the bar gets going for sure Friday afternoons, but it is, it's a great way to get to and from the city. I, I wish I could take it every day. I end up driving a lot because I'm, you know, on a phone call or something, but it's a big part of that market. It's a big part of the South Shore. You saw when when they floated the idea of maybe taking away, you know, or going to partial service, people went crazy because it unlocks an entire region, which is That's great. Cool. I will say Florida. Appropriately rated. Depends on the question. <laughs> Depends on, on the aspects of Florida you're asking for a rating on. I'd say from a aesthetic, aesthetic standpoint, <laughs> underrated. It's a beautiful place. It's amazing to spend time there. From an investment standpoint, we want all the capital flowing to Boston. So I'm going to say overrated. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I think, uh, and I was just, we were in Florida this past weekend and I ran into a lot of Boston families and New York families who were relocated down there who were in the real estate business or the finance business. And they all love living there. That said, I think you got to look at demographic trends and, and our, you know, I'm part of a national healthcare team that sells medical office buildings around the country. Florida was probably our busiest, if not second busiest market last year. And the demographic trends down there are pretty amazing. It's a, there's a quality of life that people flock to. The summer gets hot. Generally, a lot of people who moved to Florida are figuring something out in the summer. But it is a uh, can't argue that walking outside in November in a t-shirt is is good for you and good for your kids. I'll tell you what's going to reverse that trend is uh, availability of insurance yeah. for buildings. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've going to start getting stories. more and more expensive as insurers pull out. Right. They're going to require more resilient building, right? So, I mean... Uh, what about all the stock? This longer conversation. Longer conversation. For a lightning <laughs> round, you go. Mm-hmm. For a lightning round, um, espresso drinks. <laughs> I stay away from espresso. I'm going to say overrated. Pretty bare bones iced coffee, guys. Black iced coffee. Yeah. So Duncan? I'm a Starbucks guy. I got Dunks this morning. There nice. we go. Yeah. All right. Tommy, cold calls. Underrated. 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 Wow. Yeah. You've gotten uh, deals like real multifamily deals, cold call? Absolutely. Wow. You never get them the first try, mm-hmm. but if you cold call somebody enough, that becomes a warm call, then it becomes a hot call. And then I actually keep my, my team calls it a murder board because I'm like carrying. <laughs> I'm like Carrie Matheson. I have this pin board in my office of all the deals I'm chasing. Dan and, and Ray just got on it. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and I keep track of you know how many calls to each deal. I feel like that. I feel like that name may need to change a little bit. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, you know, I hear uh, I hear email lists are pretty good too. Oh, newsletters. You're, you're on it. You're on the list. Uh, when it comes back, you got <laughs> newsletters. We were talking about yeah, newsletters. I got, I got the joke. Okay, right. okay, and, uh, we always one. say the minute you stop Land calling like someone, the minute in our business on the brokerage side, you stop calling someone, you call them for three years, 
every few months. And the minute you stop, you read about them so, out of oh, the market. Yeah. And, it, and it like that keeps it's all going about right. consistency. So you just got to stay yeah. on it. I will say common roof decks. Uh, yeah, I don't know how they're rated by the market, <laughs> yeah. but I would say I've had a, I had a roof deck. We had a roof deck in Selfie that I loved, and we we it was it was ours, but we loved it, and we didn't use it all that much. The days we were up there, it was amazing. I it could have been common, you know, in retrospect. So, are you considering a common roof deck? Roof decks are awesome. <laughs> I'm asking for myself. Roof decks are just awesome. From the developer's point of view, they're underrated. I mean, you need a roof deck to really, for a lot of renters, a lot of consumers, they walk into a building and has no outdoor space, no public outdoor space. They're, you know, it's binary. They're either renting there or not, and they're not going to rent there. Mm -hmm. But from an actual use and consumer standpoint, they don't use them. Right. Nobody ever goes out there. Especially in New England. But uh, all right. My last one, Ray, you go, and then I'll go. Co-star. Uh, I would probably be gentle about how we answer that. I'd say appropriately. Rated. Oh, I'm, I'm going right for the. Let's get the hot topics. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Craigslist. No, I was no. going to say I, I like to screw with the game and say like Hostar versus Loopnet, and uh, but company, I, I'm screwing right? up the thing. I think appro- I, I would say appropriately rated. We do all research in house, so rent comp when we're underwriting a deal or analyzing a submarket. We call those comps. We do our own research. We we rely on our own rents. But Costar is a good place to go for unit counts, years built. The facts. Awesome. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it here. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Folks wanted to sell their building, get in touch with you. Buy a building. Uh, buy a building. Find debt. How could they do that? Or get on the mail list. Yeah. We'll, we'll throw yeah. you on. If you Google Michael Greeley or Tom Greeley at Newmark, you'll find us. But Michael.Greeley at NMRK.com. And Tom.Greeley at NMRK.com. And when do tickets for uh, Country uh, Fest start? Corey Fest. Corey Fest. Cheese. Sorry, we'll, we'll take the Country Fest yeah. comparison. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, it's usually the beginning of the summer. As soon as we know our artist, we'll usually announce the date. And the, it's and winter the ball time, right? It's Boston winter ball time. So if you're out there and, and it, that Boston winter ball, we think is is probably the best night for young professionals in the city of Boston. It's a, it's, it's a different speed. It's a black tie affair. But this year, going to be hosted at the Omni, which will be awesome. First time a lot of people have been to an event there. And uh, that's for the Corey C. Griffin Foundation. So we'd love to see anyone there. That and can there, are, there are opportunities throughout the year to volunteer. So to actually roll up your sleeves and, and go help these organizations that the foundation's supporting, whether it's Children's Hospital or one of the schools we support or the Ron Burton Training Village. If anybody's interested in volunteering and actually going to meet Corey's kids and, and help them out. We can set that up too. And where, where can they get more information about the Corey Foundation? Is there a website? Well, they can reach out to us at the aforementioned or aforespelled email addresses. Uh, or yeah, there's a, we have the Corey Griffin Foundation.com or .org. .org, yeah, or Corey's Kids.org. Awesome. awesome. Thanks for asking, guys. We appreciate that. Of course. All right. Well, hey, cheers. This is great. Yeah, thank see you everybody. guys. Appreciate Thanks so much, guys. Thanks happy Thanksgiving. Keep yeah, up the happy, great work. We love holidays. the podcast. Yeah. Thanks. Thank cheers. you. Take care.